Welcome, everyone. It's uh, very good to see you, back from wherever you've been. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, uh, astrologers will tell you that um, the 12th house governs various institutions, right? <clears throat> like ashrams, jails, and hospitals. Can you see the similarities there? Well, I'm here to tell you that there are also big differences. And I'm very glad to be in this particular 12th house institution again. Uh, not that it wasn't profitable for me to stay there. And just to dispel any uh, rumors, not that I've ever known rumors to exist in my life, but um, uh, I did not have COVID. It was an infection, and hopefully they've made some progress with it. But, and also I want to say thank you to so many people who uh, sent me messages and, uh, and so on. Well wishes. I may not have been able to get back to everybody, but uh, it was all very meaningful and wonderful. So thank you very much. And I want to begin by saying in Hindi, Sabko Barisanmani Kesat Pemse Hardik Swagar. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And that's the way Baba Muktananda began every one of his talks. He used to say always, to welcome another person with love is the essence of spirituality. So in that spirit, I want to welcome you. And it's very hard not to comment on um, Maha Shakti's <laughs> Maha talk. <laughs> Maha means great, so it's the great Shakti. Uh, and it was quite a tour de force because she tied together the spiritual name with the Jiva and Shiva narratives or the personal and the impersonal narratives, uh, and then also tied that to the A statement and the G statement in, in um, Shiva process, and I thought that was quite a tour de force. And it hits the essence of spirituality. The essence of spirituality is about who we think we are, who we've been conditioned to believe we are, our personal story, the story that our parents gave us, the story our culture gives us. Um, and then this extraordinary other story about who we are that essentially the guru gives us. And the guru says, hey kid, you're not who you think you are. You're not Randy. <laughs> By the way, uh, where are you, Randy? Where is he there? I gave you a different name a long time ago. Do you remember? No. She, she, when I hear Randy, I hear the sweet music of my youth. Because oh, gotcha. she's from Scarsdale, which is a town just north of New York, and so she speaks pure New York. And so it takes me back. So I used to call her Scarsdale. <laughs> <laughs> it was near where my father grew up. <clears throat> of course, a much tonier neighborhood than my father was in, but still. Um, but so the spiritual name is a reminder. Gurdjieff used to speak about alarm clocks and how we fall asleep. It's easy to fall asleep into the, the illusion of who we think we are, into the illusion of the ego, into the illusion of our limited 
personality. It's very easy to fall back asleep. And the guru comes and wakes us and says, hey, wake up. You are the self. You are Shiva. You are divine. You're much greater than you think you are. And then we fall back asleep. And so Gurdjieff used to say we need alarm clocks to wake us up. And there are many alarm clocks, and they lose effectiveness after a while. And we need new alarm clocks. Uh, and the essence of spirituality is to keep waking up. There's an original waking up, which we call Shaktipat. And then there's a, uh, a waking up every moment, every instant. Every instant to remember the self, to remember who you are, to connect with that stream of Shakti, that non-mundane stream of energy that is always accessible to us, and to keep connecting to it and connecting to it and connecting to it. And the, the name that we receive spiritually can be one such reminder, the mantra, another such reminder, simply just to remember the guru, to remember the path, and to uh, uh, remind us. And so it's a matter of waking up, and waking up now, and now, and now, and again, now, and remembering who we really are. And it ain't easy, because all the factors in our environment militate against it. They tell us who we're not, or who our limited self is. And that's why we come together in satsang, and we celebrate that higher truth who we really are, and we give support. That's a very fashionable term. We support each other in that higher truth. It is the real truth, but it's very hard to hold it until you keep dwelling on it, and you dwell on it. One of the sutras in Pratyavigna says, dwell on this truth again, and again, and again, and again, until finally you're established in that truth. You can't just dwell on it once and you're there forever. You have to keep remembering it and remembering it and remembering it. And so I'm glad you mentioned all of that, Randy. I mean, <laughs> Mahashakti, <clears throat> in your talk. One of the ways, uh, the, the greatest uh, guide, the greatest aid to remembering who we really are that I found in my life was that fellow, my guru, Baba Muktananda, meeting him, every time I saw him, I remembered who I was, because I could see who he was. And he radiated that place because he was established in that place. And so in these programs, I always celebrate what I call the great beings, the ones who have attained that place, who hold that place, and what they are is a great resource for all of us because they show us who we are. We can pay attention. Uh, uh, we, you know, we don't have to pay much attention to them. We can go about our business, our mundane business, doing everything that you know, we're programmed to do. And um, they're sitting there, sitting in the self, waiting for us to get the idea that it's a good idea to know the self. And one time or another, after many lifetimes or, or many travails, we discover that the spiritual path is the essence of who we are, and we start to walk it. And then we really value these great beings who hold that place for us and give that connection to us and actually transmit that 
powerful things. So in these programs, they celebrate the great beings. That's my favorite of all spiritual practices, is to celebrate the great beings, because uh, the great beings not only um, are interesting in themselves, but they connect us, they give us the direct experience of that place. And of all my great, of all the great beings, and I met a few in my life, I'm very uh, fortunate uh, to have met a number of them. Of course, for me, the greatest of the great ones is my own teacher, uh, Swami Muktananda, the maestro. <coughs> <laughs> there he is. Um, you can see the humor and the joy and the love in him. And this is about what he looked like when I met him. This is actually probably from the late 60s, uh, just before I got to the ashram. Um, and that's Baba in India. What do you have now? Next. Ah, Baba in the West. Different Baba, but the same but different. This is him lecturing uh, in one of the programs uh, in the West when many hundreds and thousands of people came to hear him and to be awakened uh, to the self. Here he's leading a chant. I think it's Hari Ram. Uh, and next, what else? Uh, at the, at the, one of the highlights of uh, his tour, this was the Third world tour, wasn't it? He went in three world tours. Uh, this is Carnegie Hall in New York, the famous uh, music hall. The many great uh, concerts and so on were taken. And Baba gave a talk, sold out Carnegie Hall, spoke about love. My parents came uh, to listen to him that night. So that's Baba in the West. That's it? Okay. So these are question answers with Baba, uh, mostly from his Western tours. He traveled to uh, Australia three times, once on each tour, uh, and he, uh, I was with him on his second tour uh, in 1974, and he traveled to the U.S. and Europe also. So this is one of them. Question. From the context, this might be from a Ganeshpuri from, from India, but we'll see. For the last two years, I've been doing sadhana in solitude. And sadhana, of course, is spiritual practice. So uh, back in, in those days, I knew many what I called cave yogis. Cave yogis. These were... were uh, very dedicated seekers, but what they thought is they had to go to a, basically the best place would be a cave somewhere in the mountains and be by themselves and meditate for 16 hours a day, uh, and that was the way to do it. No, there'd be no distractions and they would attain the self. Uh, and then they would come to Baba's ashram. And Baba's ashram was, if possible, uh, the opposite of that. It was a three-ring circus, hundreds if not thousands of people, everyone going in all directions, programs going, music going, work going, everyone clashing with everyone, and uh, extraordinary, uh, everyone stepping on everyone's toes. 
and so on. So they would say, oh, I want to go back to my cave. <clears throat> so Baba says, he says, the question says, here among people I feel scared. Should I go back to the mountains? <clears throat> and I've heard Baba talk about this to different seekers many times. This is one example. Baba says, it's often good to stay alone. During my sadhana, I too spent a long time alone. But it's wrong to develop distrust for people while living in solitude. In other words, to take the posture uh, of avoidance, that you're, sit, you're by yourself, but you're terrified of people and you're avoiding them. He says, you must learn to see ev in everyone the same self who you meditated with while alone. To know the self while they're alone is one thing, you have to see the self in others. <clears throat> in Mecca, the Muslim priest asked Rabia, Rabia, the, the uh, great uh, Sufi saint, uh, don't you feel uneasy among so many people? And Rabia replied, I don't live in the midst of people. I live in the midst of God. That's the right attitude. Everyone should live in the midst of God, even if there's people there. <clears throat> Baba says, live in solitude, but don't fear and distrust others. See God in all of them. Of course, those of you who know Baba's work know that one of his aphorisms, mottos, see God in each other. See God in each other. I've often talked about uh, the two parts of Shaivism, uh, Atma Vyapti, which is to know the self, meditate on the self, and Shiva Vyapti, which is to see God in the world. It's not enough just to be able to meditate deeply and know the self. You also have to be able to take that out into your life, into your normal life, into your family life, into your relational life, and to be able to see divinity in that too. So both of those aspects. So he says, see God in all of them. Once your fear goes, you'll see only God's love. To be with people is to be in the company of God. Baba's answer there. And you know, people are of great, great help on the spiritual path because you may be able to attain a certain amount of peace when you're in your mountain retreat. I don't know how many of you have this desire to be in a mountain retreat. Uh, some of you possibly do. But you might be in the mountain retreat for a, a month, two months, six months, a year, three years, five years. But eventually you come off that mountain and then you'll have to face the people. And the people will push your buttons and they'll actually show you places where you need to do some work on yourself. So they're a great aid, great use uh, for us. Question. <clears throat> I'm often asked in England, how can reincarnation be possible when the population is always increasing? Does it mean that there are souls being constantly created? Can you please tell me how best to answer this question? Does anybody ever get that question? It's so kooky, it seems to me. But anyway, Baba says, you should tell these people, only those who have really studied and investigated religious matters are qualified to answer this question. Still, I put this question to my guru and I can convey his reply to you. 
<clears throat> if, you took, if you took the census in America right now, you'd find that the population has decreased by 10,000 people because 10,000 Americans are roaming around India. <laughs> now, the context would be back in, when I got there, there were hundreds, not thousands, thousands of uh, Westerners, mostly hippies, traveling around and going there and so on. And it was like there was an, it was the end of the 60s and they were all traveling to the East. Some for spirituality, others for marijuana and other things like that. God knows what they were there for. But uh, it was a phenomenon. I don't think it's quite that much now. But who knows? Now with COVID, of course, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> uh, in, in countries like India, the population has increased correspondingly. Uh, if the Indians decided to kick the Americans out of their countries, they would have to go back to America, and the American population would go up by 10,000. <laughs> why, why is he saying that? Don't think the, the immensity of God's world is exhausted by just the few countries you happen to know, like India, England, France, and America. There are many more worlds than the world you know. <clears throat> There's the world of the moon and the world of the sun. There is heaven and hell and the worlds of Indra and Varuna. Individual souls keep passing through these worlds. These are all worlds in the subtle plane, not the physical worlds, but in the subtle plane. If you read Baba's uh, spiritual autobiography, he, visit, he visited some of these worlds, and some of you in meditation may have gone to some of these astral worlds, these other worlds. Baba says, when souls of other worlds take birth in India, the population of India will go up. And when they pass from India to other worlds, the population of India will go down. The soul comes and goes. It doesn't die. It is only the body that dies. One of the great statements in the Bhagavad Gita is, the soul never dies. The soul never dies. There's an, an immortal element in us. We have tremendous fear of death. But according to scripture, we're going to discover that only the body dies, that our consciousness, our essence continues on. So he's saying the soul never dies, just the bodies come and go. He said when bodies die here and their souls pass from here to other worlds, the population here goes down. <clears throat> when more souls take birth here, the population goes up. Don't think that the new souls have come into being just because population has increased. In the Gita, the Lord tells Arjuna, souls rise to higher worlds as a result of their good karma, and they dwell there as long as the good karma lasts. When the good karma is exhausted, <clears throat> they fall and take birth in the mortal world, the earth that we now inhabit. It's very interesting. It's different concept of the other world, that if you do good deeds here, then you go to a heaven world where everything you want is, uh, is given to you. And after a while, you, you use up all that karma, then you come back here. This one, this world is the world of sadhana. This is the world where you really grow and you learn 
and it's called the Karma Bhumi, the world of karma, because this is the world in which spirit faces matter. We're spirit trapped in matter. That's the predicament of this world. And what that means is uh, spirit wants certain things and matter resists it. In Gurdjieff's terms, it's first force meets second force. There's always an obstacle. Do you have your life exactly the way you want it? That's actually funny, isn't it? Even to think that. <clears throat> so there's always a struggle between the aspirations of the spirit or even the aspirations to avoid certain things of the spirit and then the indifference of the material world. So this is where you learn the lessons. You learn the lessons of acceptance and surrender and being realistic and maintaining your, your state of awareness and joy even in the midst of frustrations that arise. This is the, the spiritual lesson. <clears throat> so you come back here and this is where you really learn to grow. Uh, it's just like a person, Baba says, going from India to Paris for pleasure and staying there a couple of years until all his money is spent and then returning to India. That's like going to the heaven world. You stay there for a while, then your money is spent and you come back. You have to earn money again. This is what happens, and this is the explanation you could give that person. <laughs> Can you see that? Yes, well, it's like this. If the person who asks you is satisfied with his answer, then good. Now listen to this. This is very unusual for Baba. If that question, if that answer satisfies them, and very few will be satisfied with that. If he's not, and he insists on concrete proof, then tell him to find out by dying himself. <laughs> That's very wicked for Baba, isn't it? <clears throat> you can always try dying. <laughs> All right. Question. What? Please explain what is meant by the guru's feet. Baba, no, we were just talking about that, actually. Is the microphone something wrong? No, I was just wondering if you were warm enough and if the feet are warm. I'm very warm. Okay. I'm so happy to be back. <laughs> very nice. <clears throat> uh, please explain what's meant by the guru's feet. Of course, uh, they always talk about the guru's feet. The Upanishads, to sit at the feet of the master. You sit at the feet, the master talks, you sit at his feet. This is the, the posture. Baba says, the guru's feet are like the foundation on which a building stands, but they should not be confused with certain physical limbs. When Yanishwar says, I worship the guru's feet, Yanishwar is a great saint that Baba much admired. He says, I worship my guru's feet. He's referring to something more than the physical body. The guru is not one who talks all the time, nor is he one who teaches some kind of acrobatics in the name of yoga. In other words, he's not the person who gives talks and who, you know. The guru is really the Lord within, the guru tattva, guru principle. In other words, the guru is that state of profound absorption in which there is complete union 
with the inner Lord. The Guru's feet are tat and twam, in the phrase tatwamasi, which means I am that. Tatwamasi, of course, is a Mahavakya, one of the great statements from the Upanishads, from the Vedas, which sums up the highest truth. It says, uh, I am that, you are that, you are the self. You're not who you think you are. You're not Randy, you're Mahashakti. You are the self. <clears throat> Which means, I am that. The two syllables in Soham, in Hamsa, are the actual Guru's sandals. So the Guru's feet are Ham and Sa. I am and that. <clears throat> Jiva and Shiva. Uh, the subject and the object. Yes, the Guru's physical feet are feet too, Baba says, but his actual and profound feet are the two elements in Soham, spirit and matter, you could say, inner and outer. To worship him truly does not mean to offer the Guru a pair of old sandals with a few flowers on them. And then the moment he turns his physical face away, you turn your face away from him. Awareness of one's identity with the Guru is true worship of the Guru's feet. To remember that higher truth, that's the true worship of the Guru's feet. Yanishwar says, I worship your feet by realizing the identity of myself with God, the identity of Tat with Twam. Baba says, we continuously, live, live continuously in this awareness and worship the inner guru's feet. There's not much point to worshiping these physical limbs of mine. My real feet are my message. Meditate on yourself, honor and worship yourself, kneel to yourself because your Ram, your Lord, dwells within you as you. So the real guru's feet is that higher truth. <clears throat> Let's see how we're doing. Okay. This one's somewhat relevant to today. Yeah. Uh, question. Germany has produced uh, many great philosophers. I'm puzzled that they also produced a Hitler. How do you explain this? Why should an evil one like Hitler exist? My father's always wondering about evil. Why, how does evil exist in the world? And doesn't that disprove God? How could God allow this to happen? And this is what people say. Baba says, every protagonist has his adversary. During uh, the time of Lord Ram, there was Ravana. And during the time of Krishna, Kamsa opposed him to the end. So it's not surprising that Germany would have a Hitler to oppose the philosophers. <laughs> Lots of people like Hitler exist in this world, and Hitler is born for them. Think for a moment. Was everything good before Hitler? There's no Hitler these days, but the present time, is the present time so much better for this? Actually, we may have a Hitler these days, huh? Lord Krishna says that the three gunas have their play in this world at all times. Three gunas are the strands of nature. When he, when he said, refers to three gunas, he's 
talking about the material world, the world of matter. He says, misery and suffering are never lacking. In the world of matter, there's always suffering. As, as the Buddha said, there's always old age, disease, and death. And because of that, there's inherent suffering in our, our predicament. Uh, the Lord said, O Arjuna, you should transcend the three gunas. You should go beyond physical reality and see the spirit beyond. Baba said, don't argue about God's creation like a lawyer saying, why did he do this or do that? God's understanding is excellent. He has made everything as he thought it had to be. This sort of inquiry has nothing to do with the relationship between the Lord and the devotee, though it may interest some professors. <laughs> Slap at the professors, the professors of first education, not second education. <clears throat> second education, of course, is spiritual education. The professors learn about externals and, and history and intellectual matters, but there's a deeper knowing, and that's the knowledge of the self. Baba goes on, it's the fashion these days to institute an inquiry into everything that happens, but don't question the ways of God. Instead, look into your own actions and feelings. This is the, what a spiritual seeker does. He examines his own state. He wants to stay in the clear space of good feeling. He learn how to be in that space, that balanced and loving space. And he discovers that there are tendencies inside him that he has to transform. And he works on that. Baba says, I learned Vedanta from the works of Kabir Das. Vedanta is a profound philosophy. He used to tell many funny anecdotes full of deep meaning. One day, two fakirs were sitting under a fruit tree. These were yogis, two yogis. They had finished eating and were smoking ganja. Ganja is, you know what ganja is here? Okay. You all know? Okay. It was a tall tree loaded with small round fruits. Next to the tree grew a pumpkin vine on a trellis. Its huge fruits hung down. <clears throat> Yet the vine was ridiculously small. The, the fakirs each had a puff of ganja and began to feel quite brotherly towards each other. Hey man, I really love you, man. I really love you, man. Nice. Have another toke. <clears throat> As they looked around, one said, my dear friend, do you think God is just? The other one said, of course God could never be unjust. Why do you ask? Well, you say he's not unjust, but look at the vine. It's tiny while the fruit is so big. Then look at this tree, which is huge, yet its fruit so small. Is this justice? <laughs> while he spoke, a fruit from the tree dropped on his head. And he cried, alas, O oh God, there is certainly justice in your world. If the fruit of the tree were as big as a pumpkin, it would have finished me off without doubt. Baba says, instead of finding fault with God's ways, think about your own deeds. Only much later you will understand the logic of God's ways. Good? 
And uh, let's see, I have a few short ones here. <clears throat> Question. How did Swami Muktananda know that he had become a God-realized being? Isn't that a wonderful question? And what was different about the feeling before and after? Baba says, who would have the courage to ask Baba such a question? Not me, I'll tell you that. But if somebody else did, I'd really like it. <laughs> yeah. Baba, <clears throat> if something goes wrong inside you, you feel it immediately without anybody telling you. In the same way, <laughs> it's very smart. If something good happens inside you, you don't need anyone's opinion to let you know about it. So it's something about subjective experience, you know, that in our subjective world, in our inner world, who else is there? There's no one else but you to know your own experience. We often let other people tell us what we think and feel, but that's not real, not true. Only we know what's going on in our inner world. And Bob is saying, something's wrong in there, you know it? If something's right in there, you know it. He says, Baba says, in your present condition, you're aware that you are happy or unhappy. Likewise, when you realize God, you become aware that you've realized him. Truth has the power of making itself known to you and also of making you aware that you've known it. That's a brilliant answer, isn't it? Another one, question. Were you always fond of laughter and gaiety or did these develop after self-realization? Baba, fun, laughter, and love are part of the self. God created this universe for his enjoyment. Laughter is the best remedy to remove depression and mental dryness. <clears throat> Just as for normal relaxation there are games with bats and balls, or social clubs and dances, so laughter and gaiety are the playground of yogis and meditators. Because as you contact that joy within, that's what happens. And last one. Question, could you shed some light on the way God-realized beings commune with one another? <laughs> I always think of um, Shiva process. See, Shiva process is a kind of communication. Uh, as you sit in a group, in the group process, you communicate and then you discover there are blocks in that communication and you keep on blocking and then there's a deeper and deeper communion. And I always think that in... In Siddhaloka, where all the great beings are, they're doing a Shiva process. And, but they're doing a silent Shiva process where no words have to be spoken. They're all like that. They're all in the bliss. And um, Muktananda goes like that. Nityananda goes, hmm. And Sri Ramakrishna goes, hmm. And Jesus is there and he goes, hmm. And the Buddha is there and he goes, hmm. And so it goes, and they just communicate, and they know it all telepathically. But we're uh, really children in that world, aren't we? we? Even though on some level we all know every moment what's really going on, but we hide it from ourselves. Uh, as we go deeper inside of ourselves, we get more in tune with the subtle, with the subtle reality. 
We know it all the time, but then we don't know it also. We mask it from ourselves. Anyway, this is uh, my fantasy of the way they communicate. And, and um, they really do a good Shiva process there. They say, let's begin, okay. Mm -hmm. And do we have to make the closing statements now? Okay, question. How do they communicate? Baba says, they communicate with one another through spontaneously, sp spontaneous love, considering each other to be the same self. Just as one friend approaches another in the manner of friends, in the same way a saint approaches another in the manner of saints. <laughs> so love is the communion. That's really good, no? All right, let's meditate for a bit. We've been talking about that place within, that place of higher consciousness, that place of shakti, that place of luminosity. And the sages tell us that it is within every person. In a sense, everyone is looking only for that place. Everyone is looking for fulfillment. Everyone is looking for security. Everyone is looking for happiness. Everyone is looking for joy, for love. All of these things we're looking for. And the sages say that all of these things exist within us. And that if we learn to tap that place within us, we'll experience that thing. And it's for that reason that we meditate. It's for that reason that we contemplate. It's for that reason that we get rid of tendencies that separate us from that. So let's meditate now for 10 minutes. And the goal of meditation is the inner self, that place of joy and peace within. So when you meditate, go within. And there is this clear space of good feeling within every person. Find that place within. Sometimes your mind is agitated and your feelings are running around and you think of things that happened and this person did that. I was giving my speech and, and uh, this guy came up and slapped me. <laughs> and it was on television and I'm really pissed off. Or maybe you were just sitting in an audience and some guy made some joke about your wife and you wanted to go up and punch him and something happened there, you know. These things happen. And so you have to go beyond that, let all that stuff go. And sit quietly, go to the self. You can use the mantra, repeat the mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, just to let the mind become quiet, let the other thoughts disappear and find that place within. All the sages, as with one voice, say that that exists within every person. So find that place. In 10 minutes, we'll just sit in that space of the self.